Welcome to the Echo Community Church Podcast. At Echo, we're all about being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. And on this podcast, you'll hear solid teaching from the Bible from our pastors at Echo. Thanks for checking us out and enjoy the message. There's a chapter in the Bible, in the book of Hebrews, in the New Testament, that today we've given a nickname to it. And the nickname we've given to that chapter is the Faith Hall of Fame. And in this chapter, there's 17 men and women that God points out to us and says, these 17 men and women had great faith. And it's important for us as Christians to know what their story is so that we can learn from their example and have the same kind of faith that they have. Now, the men and the women in this chapter, they were not great athletes. They were not necessarily great explorers or inventors. They weren't even, most of them weren't even really They weren't superheroes. They weren't especially strong people. They were normal, ordinary men and women. But they're in the Hall of Fame, not because they did something great, but because they believed in somebody great. And they're in the Bible because each of these people have a story that says they trusted God to do something great in their life, even in a really challenging and difficult time. So grown-ups, you'll appreciate this. When we started thinking about family day, I thought it'd be good to tell stories, Bible stories on family day, because we like stories. I thought, well, why don't we go into Hebrews 11? There's 17 stories in there. We can cover a couple of these. Over the next couple of years, we can cover the whole faith hall of fame. Let's just go ahead and do it. And then after we committed to that, I looked, oh, the first story for family day when all the kids are in here is Abel. Oh, good, the story of Cain and Abel. And growing up, some, most of you who know the story might be like, man, I am glad I don't have to tell that whole story to a bunch of five- and six-year-olds. Um, good news, good news. I've decided not to tell the whole story, just the part that's in Hebrews 11. I'll leave the second part of the story for you guys to talk about on the car ride home today. So if your kids want to know, well, what happened to Cain and Abel after Cain was dejected and went home and he was angry, you, your parents will tell you in the car on the way home. So I'm just helping set up good spiritual conversations on the way on the way home today. So I want to be clear. The Bible doesn't say this is the Faith Hall of Fame. It's a nickname we gave to it. Halls of Fame did not exist 2,000 years ago when some of these books were written, but it's something we're looking at today. There's awesome, great stories in there. Before we, do, before we dig into the Bible, and I've got a special reader coming in just a couple moments to read for us today, I want you to check out a church in, in uh, California called Saddleback Church made an awesome introduction video to the Faithful Hall of Fame. Let's check it out, and then we'll dig into Hebrews chapter 11. A Hall of Fame is a place that honors people that are exceptional at what they do. It exists to remind future generations of the greatness of these people from the past. Did you know that God has a Hall of Fame to remember the extraordinary people of faith who were written about in the Old Testament? And we can find that Hall of Fame in the New Testament of the Bible. Hebrews 11 tells us that faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. This faith is what gave people in the old days great fame. This faith is what puts them in God's Hall of Fame. By faith, Abel gave his best to God. By faith, Enoch walked with God and was a friend of God. By faith, Noah listened to God, obeyed God, trusted God, and did what's right. It was by faith that Abraham followed God and that even Sarah, Abraham's wife, believed that God would keep his promise. 
It was by faith that Isaac promised blessings for the future to his sons, Jacob and Esau. And by faith, Jacob blessed his sons and worshiped God. By faith, Joseph believed that God would guide him and see him through every troubled time. By faith, Moses looked forward to the great reward that God had in store for him and led the people of Israel out of captivity. It was by faith that Rahab was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God. And it was by faith that Joshua led the people of Israel. All of these people became famous for their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God has planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. So since God has given us his hall of fame of people who have gone before us and had great faith despite hard times, let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who makes our faith perfect, so that one day God may say, well done, good and faithful servant, and we may be initiated into his great hall of fame. So that's a little bit of the idea about what's going on in the Faith Hall of Fame. Today, we're going to look at the first name in the Faith Hall of Fame. It's in Hebrews chapter 11. It's a man by the name of Abel. His full story is also contained in Genesis chapter 4, way back at the beginning of the Bible. And near the very end of the Bible, it's also there's a little sentence about his life in 1 John chapter 3. So we're going to look at one verse, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. And today, because it's family day, we have a special young man who's going to come and read our scripture for us. Isaiah Cooper is coming to read. This is Kyle and Roberta's son. Come on up, Isaiah. I've got a microphone for you here. There's steps right over here. If you want to come up these steps here, he's going to read for us today. You want to put that up here where you can see it best? And I'll hold the microphone for you so you don't even have to worry about it. I'll, I'll hold this up so you can read. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. He Hebrews 11.4. Wonderful. Thank you so much, buddy. Here, here's, your, here's your, hey, Isaiah, here's your, here's your this. There you go. Isaiah is an amazing young man and comes from an awesome family. Kyle and Roberta are just amazing, loving, godly parents who are raising their kids to know Jesus and to love him. And it's so great to have him in part of our e-kids ministry. So that's what Hebrews tells us. It gives us really just a couple sentences about Abel, but there's another name in there. It's not just about Abel. Can you tell me, does anybody see the other name that's in that verse? What is it, Chase? Cain. So we have Cain and Abel. Now, some of you, I think, know the answer to this. How did Cain and Abel know each other? They were what? They were brothers. So way back in Genesis chapter 4, we get the whole story. We're learning about today a set of brothers. Abel was the younger brother. Is anybody in here a younger brother? Okay. Yeah. Chase is like, Isaiah, raise your hand. Yeah. Anybody in here the older brother? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Moses is like, yes, yes, I am. Right. So Cain was the older brother. Abel was the younger brother. They had the same parents. They had the same mom and the same dad. Does anybody know who was Cain and Abel's mom? 
Eve, not Adam and Eve, right? But that's a whole other conversation for another day. But no, it was just Eve. And then who was the dad? Adam. Okay, so Adam and Eve, the first man, the first woman in the Bible, and these are the first two kids in the whole Bible. We're going to look at their the little bit of longer story in Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4 is known as the chapter of firsts. We have the first pregnancy in the Bible. We have the first baby born in the Bible. We have the first siblings in the Bible. Then we have the f- some other first things. We have the first crime and some first other things, that car ride on the way home. Okay, car ride on the way home. We'll talk about those. Let's look at this. There are some similarities. You know, if you have a brother or a sister or you have several, there's some things about you that are the same, right? Think about it. You know, grown-ups, kids, if you've got a brother or a sister, there's probably some things about you that are the same. There's also probably some things about you that are different. And you're like, how in the world can these two people be siblings when they're so different? It was no different with Cain and Abel. There were some similarities. There are some differences. They had the same parents. They had the same opportunities, grew up in the same house, ate the same meals. They had the same access to God. And they both believed in God. They both brought worship and gifts to God. But there were also some differences They had different jobs. They had different attitudes in their heart. The biggest difference between the two of them, according to the Bible, is that Abel worshipped God by faith. But Cain did not worship God by faith. So here's the big idea. And kids, I need you to find your orange pom-pom thing. See if you can find it, okay? You got it? Yes, Reed has his. You are ready. You are ready to go. When, and Perry's got his. All right, Christopher's got his. Chase has his. All right, we all got it. Okay, we're ready to go. Whenever I say the big idea today, I need you to help, help us by waving your pom-pom. So the big idea is this. By faith, Abel gave his best to God. Can we say that together? And kids, you can wave this. By faith, Abel gave his best to God. Okay, everybody with enthusiasm, I'll even take your second best enthusiasm. All right, here we go. The big idea is by faith, Abel gave his best to God. Awesome. Now, I want to be very clear. This is probably for the grown-up ears, but kids, you can listen in. I want to be very clear. This is not a message that says all God wants from you is your very best. Give him your best or else. Don't even think about it. Just give God your best. That's not what the Bible is teaching us. The differentiator, what made Abel unique and acceptable to God is not what he gave. It's why he gave what he gave. And that's why those first two words in the big idea are important. By faith, Abel gave his best to God. In other words, his faith means he believed in God in such a way that it transformed his whole life. And he worked differently, gave differently, thought differently, ate differently, spent money differently because of what he believed about God. Because it's possible to give somebody your best, but not really mean it. Can I tell you a story? When I was 10 years old, like 1985, which some of you kids, you're going to have to look way, 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 way back in history to get there. Um, But the 80s were a great time to be alive. Great toys in the 80s. There was this amazing toy that came out like in the mid-80s, right when I was in the middle of elementary school that you might have heard of. Has anybody heard of Transformers? Listen, you might look down at them. They are much more than meets the eye, okay? They are 
amazing, amazing toys. They are vehicles that turn into robots. And then they can go from robots back into vehicles. And the toys were so cool because you could actually transform them, hence the name, from one thing into another. Now, I'm not, I don't remember exactly why. I'm sure there's a good reason. But in my house, um, Transformers was not a toy that my parents thought was a good idea for me to have. I don't remember the reason. But I knew about them. My friends had them. I wanted them but I couldn't have Transformers. Now, I had G.I. Joes, which is a whole other sermon for a whole other day, and G.I. Joes are also amazing. Um, But the Transformers were awesome. The first time I got invited to a birthday party was third grade, and I had a friend whose name was Jason, and this was his real last name, Jason Gross was his name. And I was new to birthday parties, and so my mom said, you know, we need to take a present for you to give to your friend at his birthday. And she said, would you know anything about him? What does he like? I was like, well, he likes Transformers. She's like, well, specifically, what kind of Transformer? Now, I knew this. There was one Transformer at that time, one toy that was better than all the other Transformers. It went by the name of Optimus Prime. It was, see, some of you I can tell, I can just hear, you're like, yes. If, if you have, listen, if you happen to have an Optimus Prime from 1985 laying around your house and don't know what to do with it, call me up. Um, <laughs> it's worth a pretty penny. Uh, and I was like, well, Optimus Prime is the best one to have. That is the best Transformer you could possibly have. And it was the one that I wanted more than anything else, but of course I couldn't have it. So here was the thing. My mom said, all right, let's go down to, and I'm going to date myself again. Let's go down to Kmart. Some of you are like, what is Kmart? What is that? If you don't know, you don't know. But if you do know, you know. Way back in the day, before Walmart, there was Kmart. And probably because of Walmart, there isn't Kmart anymore. But there was Kmart. And they had an amazing toy section. And we went down to Kmart and picked out Optimus Prime. And my mom bought Optimus Prime and wrapped up Optimus Prime and gave Optimus Prime to me to give to Jason. Can I just tell you, we were taking our very best possible birthday gift that we could give. And I was giving Jason Gross the best that I could, and I was not happy about it at all. I'm embarrassed to tell you, when I gave it to Jason at his birthday, I remember very, I've forgotten most of that year, but I remember that birthday party. I was sitting at the table, had the birthday hat on. I was not happy. There was cake in front of me. I was not eating it. And when he opened up the present, I just sat there the whole time, and I felt bad for myself. There was like 15 friends there that all brought him. He had a pile of Transformers in front of him. And then he opened the Optimus Prime that I gave him, and I started crying at his birthday party because I didn't want to give him the Optimus Prime. I wanted the Optimus Prime, but I gave him my best. Hope he had a great birthday. Happy birthday, Jason. You know, he'd kick you in the jaw later on. I was not happy about it. Why do I tell that whole story? Because, you know, it's possible to give somebody your best, but your heart's not in it. And it doesn't mean anything. It actually kind of makes the whole experience kind of sour. And I want you to understand, Abel gave his best to God, but he wasn't sad or depressed or prideful or disappointed that he took his very best and his very first and gave it to God. He gave to God by faith. Because he thought something about God that I didn't think about my friend Jason. 
He thought God was the most magnificent, amazing, wonderful friend he could ever have. He thought God was so powerful, so mighty, so loving, so generous that he couldn't wait to give his very best to God because when your heart's in the right place, the offerings just flow naturally. And so if we go the whole way back to Genesis chapter 4, you see, you see more of their story going on here. Uh, let, let me read it to you. I'll just read you a couple because we're, we're not going to talk a long time today. But I do want you to know a little bit more about their story. So we found out, you know, when they were born, they were obviously little babies. But when they grew up, the Bible says, they got jobs. They had different jobs. Abel became a shepherd, which meant he took care of sheep and animals. While Cain cultivated the ground, that meant he was a farmer. So both of those were good, important jobs. Both of them were Jobs that God equipped them to be able to do. Cain raised fruits and vegetables. Abel raised animals. And most people back in that day, there wasn't a whole lot of other job options out there. That's pretty much what you had to do to survive. You had to raise crops and food and fruit to be able to live. When it was time for harvest, that means at the end of the growing season, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Now, let me pause here for a second. There's an important word in here. Cain presented, does anybody see that next word? Some. Some. What kind of crops did Cain bring as a present to the Lord? He brought some of them. Let's keep reading. Verse 4. Abel also brought a gift to God. He brought the, what's that word? Best. He brought the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. So both Cain and Abel knew at the end of harvest season, it was time for church. At the end of every harvest season, the Bible tells us, actually, I won't go deep into the translation because that would bore some of you. The best translation at the beginning of this verse is when it came to the end of days, meaning that every year at harvest time, this scene happened. Every year they raised animals and they raised crops. Every year it was time to harvest those crops. Some of the animals would be killed for food, and the crops would be picked to be able to eat for food as well. And every year, both Cain and Abel knew it was appropriate for them to come and worship God and bring him as a gift something they had worked on because they understood their work was part of their worship. And so they both brought God something every year, and Cain brought some of his crops, and Abel brought the best and the first of his lambs. Now, here's this mystery. We don't know exactly how this happened, but the Bible says when both of them put their offering before God, God had some way of showing them whose offering he accepted and whose offering he didn't accept and reject. I don't know what he did. Um, if you read a little later on in the book, uh, in the Old Testament, you'll see um, Elijah, one of the prophets, brought God an offering one time, and God showed that he accepted it by sending fire down from heaven, and it consumed the whole offering. So maybe it was that. I don't know, but every year, they both brought offerings, and every year, God accepted Abel and his gift but he did not accept Cain and his gift. And that's important, grown-ups. I want to make sure you see this too. God wasn't just looking at the gift. He was looking at the giver and the gift. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. And this made Cain very angry. 
and he looked dejected. Dejected means mopey, pouty, frowny, sad, and bummed out. That's what that means. So here's the big question most of us who have read this story before usually ask. Why? Why in the world did God decide to accept Abel and his offering and not Cain and his offering? And from my grown-up, especially from my student ears, there's been a lot of different people who have suggested answers to this. And I'm not saying that some of the answers you might have heard are wrong. Not all of them come right out of the Bible. One of the most common answers I've heard is, well, because Cain, or Abel brought the right sacrifice and Cain brought the wrong one. God wanted both of them to bring an animal sacrifice, and he didn't want sacrifice of fruits and vegetables. And I've heard that teaching before. I'm not saying that it's incorrect, but I'm saying that's not what the Bible itself says we're supposed to learn from this. The Bible talks about this story three times. Genesis 4, Hebrews 11, 1 John 3. Never in any one of those times do the writers of the Bible say that's the reason why. Instead, it supplies the answers pretty much right in front of us. It gives us two reasons why God accepted Abel and his offering, but not Cain and his offering. The first reason is the quality of the gift. The second reason is the character of the person who gave it. So let me give you just a couple thoughts here. Abel gave his best to God. You remember your big idea? By faith, Abel gave his best to God. Okay, I'm the only one who met. Thank you, Moses, for waving your, and Christy. The parents are, and my son. Okay, extra snacks for you too. There you go. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Christopher. Abel gave his best to God. Cain gave less than his best to God. We saw that a second ago. Cable, cable. I did that in the first service too, cable. I'm trying to talk faster, and so I'm combining them to make it more efficient. Cain presented some of his, fruit, of his fruit and vegetables, but Abel also brought the best. Now, I want to show you why that actually says something about the way that they worked, the way that they thought, and the way that they lived their life. It's a simple detail, but the Bible includes us, and it tells us that Abel thought very carefully, intentionally, and constantly about God while he was at work. He knew every year that the very first lamb that was born, the first male, was supposed to be set aside and taken as special good care of for God. He also knew that in addition to the firstborn, he was going to look all the time. He's like, I want to find which is the very best, the very biggest, the fattest, the largest, the most delicious potentially lamb that I'm raising here. And every day when he got up and he went to work in the morning, the afternoon, the evening, Abel's thinking about God all throughout his day. Every day when he goes to work, he's thinking, I want to work today to honor the Lord. I want to be able to bring the Lord the very, very best, the very best and the very first. That's not for me. That's for God. The way he thought about God, his faith in God, transformed his life completely. He worked differently. He studied differently. He spent money differently. He budgeted differently. He lived differently because of how he thought about God. He thought about God more than once a year. He thought about worshiping God more than just at a worship service. He thought about God every single morning, afternoon, and night because you can't bring that kind of a sacrifice without thinking about God regularly. 
often, consistently. He was generous. He was selfless. He was humble. It took a lot of work for Abel to give this gift to God of his very best. Why in the world would any person give that kind of an offering to God? The answer is simple, by faith. Abel had faith in God. It's not just that he believed in God, because guess what? Cain believed in God too. Cain also believed that he should worship God. But what made them different is that Abel had faith in God, which means what he believed about God wasn't just a set of facts. It was a set of facts that completely transformed everything about the way that he lived. And his whole life became the proof and the evidence of what he believed in his heart that God was really like. And that's why he brought his best to God. Abel had faith in God, and it transformed everything about him. So when he brought his sacrifice to the Lord, God looked at Abel. God looked at his offering. God looked at the lamb that he brought, and God saw his worship, and he accepted both. Now, Cain, on the other hand, did not bring the first of his crops. He did not bring the best. It just says he brought some. In other words, he brought something. Here's here's. The deal with Cain, we don't know if he brought his worst, if he brought some nasty rotten apples with worms crawling through them, or if he brought half-eaten bananas. It's not likely that he did that. All we know is he just brought some. He didn't bring the best. He didn't bring the first. He brought whatever he had available when it came time to worship. This means that worship wasn't on his mind when he worked. God wasn't at the center of his job. God wasn't at the center of his budget, his food, his diet, his giving, his relationships. He knew he was supposed to bring worship to God. And so he brought something. He lived without God at the center of his life for almost the entire harvest season. And then when it was time to go to worship, he didn't want to come empty-handed. So he brought something and he presented it before the Lord. And God looked at his heart And he looked at his offering, and he rejected it. Why? Because Cain was not motivated by transforming, life-changing faith in God. Cain did not have faith in God that transformed him. He believed in a God, and that might be describing some of us. You believe in God. You believe you should go to church. You believe you should give your time. You believe you should give money. You believe you should serve people. But you don't have faith That really transforms you. You believe you should do all those things. But you don't really know a God that transforms your life. And so you're just simply doing things you kind of begrudge. You're doing things you really don't want to do. You're doing things you don't like to do. And you try and just send it in the bare minimum. And you hope that that little thing that you do for an hour a week to think about God is enough of a deodorant to cover over all the stink of the rest of your life. And the truth of the matter is that God does not accept everything we try to offer him. And God does not accept everyone who just thinks that if I just write a big check or serve enough or go to church for an hour a week, that's all I have to do to satisfy God. I can live any way that I want to six days a week, not think about God at school, not think about God at home, not think about God at work, not get to know God through my giving or my budgeting. I can have a God that has no influence over the way that I live my life, but I believe enough about him that I don't want to cross him. And so for one hour a week, I will bring something and I will set it before God and I'll hope that he accepts it. And if he doesn't, I'm going to be angry and upset and mad. 
Now, not in our church, not in our church, but maybe in another church you attended, you might run into people who go to church every week and they're always grumpy. Hands in pockets, arms crossed. Oh, great, they're singing again. Oh, this per- oh I'm sitting in their row. Goodness, she always cries. Doesn't take all that. Oh, man, they're talking about money again. I just wish they'd be quiet. You know, let, you know, I just, why are they always after my money? I gave last year. That comes from a heart. That's not a, that's not a message problem. That's not a style problem. That's a heart problem. That's Cain. I'm doing the bare minimum. Why am I not feeling happy? I come every week and it does nothing for me. I sit here every week and I watch other people worship and I go home the same way that I came in. Why is it not working? What are you expecting to work? There's no faith in your heart that's transformed your life. You believe a bunch of facts about God like Cain did. We can't live any old way we want six days a week and then bring God one begrudging hour of the week and expect God to accept our worship. So why did God accept Abel and not Cain? First reason, because of the quality gift, quality of the gift. And then my last point is because of the character, the kind of person that the giver was. Abel was a righteous man. Cain did not live right before the Lord. The Bible tells us in three different places Genesis 4, Hebrews 11, and then a verse that I didn't give them in the back, 1 John chapter 3. What does it mean to be righteous? It just means you live right before the God. You live right. You do right. Now, why did Abel do that? Abel did that because Abel knew God was holy, God was righteous, God was pure, and Abel loved God so much he didn't want to do anything that would negatively impact their relationship. He wanted to live right before the Lord. And when you live right and your heart's right, your worship is right. But if you live wrong and your heart's wrong, your worship's not acceptable. Cain did not live right before the Lord. Well, how do you know that? We didn't read that part. Well, let me read you the next part of Hebrews, or I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 4. After Cain is pouting and moping around, God has a follow-up conversation with Cain where he tries to teach him something. Now, kids, I don't know if you've ever disobeyed one of your parents, probably none of our church kids. But I wonder if you can think of a time where you disobeyed your mom, your dad, your grandma, your grandpa, a teacher, and they had to have a conversation with you. I want to tell you, usually, if it's a good mom or good dad, good grandma, good grandpa, they're trying to teach you something. They're trying to help you be better. They're trying to help you live right. God's having the same follow-up with Cain. Cain did something wrong, and he was moping about it because he didn't get, he didn't get the blessing. So God comes to him and says, why are you so angry, Cain? Why do you look so dejected? Now listen to this verse. You will be accepted if you do what is right. Here's what he's saying. The problem here is in your heart. You're doing wrong. If you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you but you must subdue it and be its master. What what was Cain doing that was so wrong that God says, Cain, the real problem here is not the crops that you brought. The crops are just evidence of a problem in your heart. 
If your heart was right, you wouldn't have just woke up this morning and dragged any old thing into my presence, not really thinking too much about it. If your heart was right, you and I would be enjoying each other all the time. We would enjoy these times where we're together. And every act of worship that you got would come from a right heart and could be acceptable. He's like, the problem is you are not doing what is right. In fact, later on at the end of the Bible, the Apostle John writes a letter that we call 1 John. And in 1 John chapter 3, verse 12, he says this, we must not be like Cain because Cain, Cain, who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Which is the end of the story. You can talk about it on the way home. Cain got so angry that he went and killed his brother. First crime, first murder in the Bible. And John says, don't be like Cain. Be like Abel instead. He said, why did Cain end up doing something so terrible? And it tells us why. Because Cain had been doing what was evil. And his brother had been doing what was righteous. Here's what it says. Behind the scenes, even before church that day, Cain was not living right before the Lord. He did not have faith that transformed the way that he lived. He believed in God, but he also lived a life that was unpleasing to God. He was disobedient. He was jealous. He had a bad temper. He wasn't teachable when God tried to teach him and get him to correct. Instead, you know, sometimes when your parents say, listen, if you do this again, you're going to land in time out. If you do that again, there's consequences. If you keep acting like this, you know why? They're trying to help so that when you become an adult, listen, if you don't listen to your parents now, your teachers now, you're setting yourself up for trouble later on in life you're setting yourself up to not listen to the law to a boss to an employer you're setting yourself up for bad things to come out of life we want to set you up for blessings and so at some point you have to learn like listen I'm going to start listening to people who know a little I'm going to listen to my elders I'm going to listen to my parents they're trying to help me God was trying to help Cain he says stop doing what's wrong or else it's going to lead you to more trouble you know what it led him to more trouble he didn't listen He decided he knew better. Why? Because he was doing what was evil. Not able. He was doing what was right. God says to Cain, you'll be accepted if you do what is right. You see, first and foremost, God goes after Cain's heart. Grown-ups, God's not after you writing a big check today if your heart's not in it. God's not after you volunteering for 20 ministries if your heart's not in it. God's not after you sitting and occupying a seat in church on Sunday mornings that you don't want to be in, singing songs that you don't feel, lifting hands that you resent the pressure to have to do it, and consent, you know, just picking apart everything that you see. God's not asking you to jump through a bunch of hoops because he can't be swayed by that. He sees your heart. He knows why you're here. He knows why you worship or why you don't. He knows why you give or why you don't. He knows whether you see your work and your studies and the way that you parent and the way that you husband, the way that you wife, the way that you mom or dad, the way that you work, the way that you retire. He sees the way that you spend or save or invest. He sees those things as either extensions of a life-transforming faith in Jesus or as extensions of the way you think you should live your life. They're one or the other. Cain made the mistake of thinking he can, have, he can live life any old way that he wants. And then when it came time for worship, just bring the bare minimum to the Lord and that God would accept it and use that offering to overshadow everything that was wrong in his life. And God said, no, I want your heart. He could have said to both of them, I'm not impressed with the lamb or the crops. I could have a billion, trillion, quadrillion, one of Isaiah's numbers, billion, trillion, quadrillion of all of them. But I want your heart. That's the one thing I can't give myself is your heart, your worship, your faith. God says, if you do right, I'll accept you. Abel's offering was evidence of his righteous heart towards God. Cain's offering was evidence of his unrighteous heart before the Lord. 
Abel's offering was evidence of a life that had God at the center. Cain's offering was evidence of life that had himself at the center and God on the outside. I just want to close you with this idea, and I'll tell you a short story. When our heart's in the right place, our worship and our offerings flow easily and generously. Now, I don't want to embarrass, I don't want to embarrass either of my boys, but I can tell you they, my son Chase, who's nine, my son Isaiah, who's four, they adore their mother. They love her, like, immensely. My four-year-old understands nothing about money, doesn't understand it at all. The nine-year-old, on the other hand, he's starting to understand about money, and he's a saver. Like, he, when he has in his mind, I want to save up X amount of dollars to buy a jersey, money goes into his wallet, and it does not come out except for that which he put it away for, which I can appreciate because that's kind of like how I am. There is an exception, however. Every year when it comes time for Mother's Day or Christmas or my wife's birthday, provided I remember when it is, anytime those events come up and I suggest to my boys, would you like me to take you to shop for your mom? Yes, yes. And the budget goes right out the window. It's like, what is the most expensive thing that we can pick out and you can pay for for mom, right? And I remember this past Christmas, I went with Chase to, um, Chase to Target over here, and I just said, all right, buddy, you know, we had agreed upon a budget, and I said, you know, let's, this is going to be from you to mom. Let's go, let's go shop for mom. What do you think? What do you think she would like? And I'm kind of actually hoping he will coach me because Kendra will tell you my history of trying to surprise her with what I think she wants train wreck, uh, train wreck. I, I'm usually the guy that's like, you tell me exactly what you want, and I will go get it for you so that I know you'll be happy, and I should just know, but sometimes I don't. The nine-year-old's much better at this than me. He goes, let's go over to the clothes section. I'm like, and I'm immediately breaking out in a cold sweat. I'm like, <laughs> I'm not the husband that would probably do well picking out clothes for my wife. He goes right over there, and he goes right to the sweaters. I'm like, okay, and he's like, I'm like, he started zeroing in on one, like, display of sweaters. And I'm like, okay, well, what is it about these ones you think mom would like? Because I'm getting nervous. He's like, oh, I know she would like these because I was with her a couple weeks ago. She picked out one of these sweaters for her mom, and she said how much she liked it. So I'm assuming that means she likes it. I'm like, he's good. Hey, like, nine-year-old girls, like, he, he, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. We're not ready for that yet. My bad. Okay, it's going to be a great ride to the Memorial Day picnic today. <laughs> but she, he's, he honed in on this section of sweaters. And it's like he's, he's, he's going through them. And he's like, like he narrowed it down to a couple of colors. And he's like putting his hand on. He's putting his hand on each sweater. He's like, oh, this one's not soft enough. Oh, this one's really soft. I mean, like he is like zoned in on this stuff. This is, I mean, this, he is investing so much time and thought and energy in this. And he finally narrowed it down. He's like, He's like, and I know exactly what size that she would get because I asked her when she got for her, you know, when she got for her mom. And she's, she had mentioned she liked this other one, and they even had it in her size. So I remember, which was a huge relief, you know, and I'm like, this is awesome. Like, he knows. Like, um, and then he, he, like, looked at the price tag. He's like, well, this might go above our budget, but if it does, it's okay. I'll pay for the difference. And I was like, this is the guy who, like, money will not come out of that wallet for anything, but it's like, but for his mom, hey, whatever the best is that I can give for my mom, you don't have to ask me. 
I'm going to pony up and I'm going to, I'm going to give it. You see, his heart for his mom is in the right place. He adores her. And he doesn't view shopping for a gift for her as some chore he has to do. Like, okay, um, well, if my budget's $25 and I, here was my way I thought when I grew up, it's terrible. It's like, okay, I've got $25 to spend on somebody. What's the least that I could give to them so I can have some left over to get something for myself? Now, I grew out of that, right? But at nine, to have that kind of heart for somebody, he didn't need a lesson on here's all the reasons you should love your mom and why we should want to give her nice things. For, it's just there. You see, when your heart for God is in the right place, when you have faith in him that transforms your life, your worship just flows easily. Of course we want to give him our best. Whatever that looks like for me, our bests are not identical. Right? Of course I want to give him the first. Of course I want to give him the best. Of course I think about him at work. Of course I think about him at play. Of course I think about him at school. Of course I would never want to do anything that would jeopardize our relationship. And that's what the Bible holds up. It says, by faith, Abel gave God his best. Not by obligation, not by force, not by guilt, by faith. Abel gave God his best in the same way that one day Jesus would come into the earth and he would give us his best, his first, his only. And his sacrifice was accepted by God. And because Jesus' sacrifice was accepted by God, you and I can have relationship with God because of what Jesus did. Worship team, will you come back? Let me pray over you and then we're gonna sing just two more songs together. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come back. Let's pray. In fact, Every man, woman, boy, and girl, you deserve the opportunity to say yes or say no to a relationship with God through Jesus. And maybe this morning you feel like your heart's being drawn towards God in a really unusual and special way. And my question is, would you like to have a saving relationship with God through Jesus? And it just simply means that you admit that you're a sinner, that you believe that Jesus is God's son who paid the price for your sins and you believe he'll forgive you. And you have to choose God to be your Lord. He's already the Lord. We're not making him the Lord. But we're going to choose to live like Abel did, where we recognize and we know that God is over everything. He's the ultimate leader, and our whole life is going to change and reflect that in the way that we live. And if that's the type of relationship with God you want to have, the Bible also offers us some guidance as to what to say to start that off. It's just a confession that we make to God. That's something you can say yourself to the Lord. And if you want to pray that prayer with me this morning, you certainly can. You can pray a prayer like this. It says, Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner and I've done wrong. I'm not living right before you. But I want that to change today. And I believe, Jesus, you can forgive me for my sins. And so I confess that I believe in you, that you're God's son that you died on the cross in my place and that you rose from the dead and that you're alive today. I believe you want to forgive me and I receive your forgiveness in my life. I choose today to make you my leader and I will obey you and follow you and honor you. In your precious name I pray. Heavenly Father, you're challenging all of us today to think about our faith in you and the question we're left with is, if I find it difficult to worship you for an hour on a Sunday, if I find it difficult 
to give you the best of my money, if I find it difficult to give you the best of my time and my energy, if I find it difficult to spend time with you each day, studying the Bible, praying, talking to you, and listening to you, if I find it hard and I find myself even resenting any pressure to have to do that, that means there's a faith problem in my heart. And Father, I pray you help us to be very, very, very honest with ourselves today. And in the same way that you tried to slow Cain down and you asked him a question, if you do what is right, you'll be accepted. Father, show us what we're doing wrong in order that we can make that right today and live acceptably. I don't want to have a relationship with you that is empty and dull and boring that I resent. I want to have a relationship with you that is exciting and wonderful and real and life-changing. I think that's what we all want. And the way to get there is not by changing an offering. It's by changing our hearts. So God, I pray that today as we leave this place, our hearts are changed even a little bit more to be a little softer, a little warmer, a little more open to you than we were than when we came in today. Because we know that the evidence of that change will come tumbling out in the way we talk to our parents and our kids, the way we talk to our spouses, the way we relate to our bosses, the way we approach, the way we study, the way we work, the way we play, the way we give, and the way we serve. Thank you, Jesus, for preserving for us examples like this faith hall of fame in the bible that we can learn from and grow from help us to give our best to you for the right reasons in your name we pray amen we hope you enjoyed the echo community church podcast if you prayed that prayer at the end of the message and began following jesus christ today we'd love to celebrate with you and give you some simple next steps to take as you begin your new life with him just email us at info at echochurchmd.com to let us know. If you'd like more information about Echo Community Church, you can check out our Facebook page or our website, echochurchonline.com. Thanks so much for listening.